The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, markets are rallying to start this week, the last week of the year, with major indices notching records at the close. Or are we at risk of seeing a bubble burst? Why one top market watcher says no. Plus, are the boom times over for the housing sector? We'll take a look at the risks lurking in this red-hot trade come the new year. And a Fubo flop, the froth coming out of this name in a big way. The headline that did it and what it says about the speculative names that have seen some of the biggest surges this year. And do not forget, there is a bonus hour of Fast Money coming up at 6 p.m. Do you have questions on how to set up your portfolio into the new year? We want to hear them. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. You may just get an answer live on the air. But first... Let's get to those market highs coming after the president signed a relief bill into law, giving a last-minute lifeline to hard-hit Americans and narrowly avoiding a government shutdown. And as we count down the final days of the year, we wanted to take a look, just a pause here, a look back at the words that really defined 2020 and the market action that we saw. So, Dan, we want to start off with you, and, and I could probably guess what you're going to say, but go, go ahead. What's your word? Well, mine's an acronym, Mel, and it's MAGA. It's Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. You know the names here. They're 40% of the NASDAQ 100. They're $7 trillion in market cap, and they basically ate the NASDAQ this year. You know, they're some of the biggest names. Obviously, Microsoft has a $2.3 trillion market cap. It's up 150% from its pandemic lows in March. It's up 85% on the year. That's the second year in a row that it's up 85% on the year. It's truly astounding when you look at these four names. Sadly, they were made for this market. They were made for this economy. When you think about the monopolies and the moats and the managements and the balance sheets, I mean, it was investors shooting first and asking questions later, but really from late March, it was just a straight way up. And obviously we've seen some consolidation over the last couple of months, but these names with Microsoft and Apple and Amazon starting to break out a little bit, Google trading very near Alphabet, very near its all-time highs, they look like they want to make a run back to those all-time highs here. So the story that started 2020 is ending 2020 with a bang. Well, what does it say, Brian Kelly, that we are going back to the old playbook that got us here. Yeah, well, that's so that's the real big question, right? Is there something you can infer from this that investors are thinking? In other words, are investors now thinking that we are going to get slower growth coming into the first and second quarter? We certainly probably know the first quarter is going to be slow, primarily because this second wave or third wave or whatever type of wave of the virus you want to call it. Uh, but what about the second quarter? And so what investors are doing is they're rotating back into big cap tech where the growth is. They're somewhat uh, protected. They do have moats, as Dan uh, mentioned. You know, so I, I wouldn't one day trading. I wouldn't read too much in. But that's something you need to be concerned about with these moves. You know, and also take a look at what happened with the Russell, that reversal. It's had a tremendous run up. So this just could be a, a portfolio shift. Or it could be something a little more sinister, which would be much slower growth in 21. I mean, if you are um, a believer that there are fits and starts to getting to getting everybody vaccinated or many people vaccinated, Guy, I would think that maybe tech is, in fact, your safety play. I mean, that 
has been a playbook. And with interest rates so low, valuations don't matter. I'm going to say it. Valuations don't matter with interest rates this low, do they? I'm, yes, they do matter, and you know they yeah, matter, know. and you said it just to twerk me on a Monday night, which is fine <laughs> because, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. But it is, and we have two hours, by it, the way, two hours of Fast Money tonight, just, you know, no. mark your calendar. Do we? Yeah, you're going to be there. by the way. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you kidding me? Where am I going? And Jerome Powell said it, too, which is preposterous if you think about it. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of his comments, but effectively said in this interest rate environment, valuations don't matter. And, you know, we had a conversation with Steve Leisman about it. I mean, we've talked about this seemingly for months. Valuations matter, people. And, you know, Tim Seymour and I are dear friends, and I disagree with him on this front. You know, he thinks, you know, earnings won't matter in 2021. I think they will matter in 2021. And maybe he's right. The market will give them a pass. But... At a certain point, valuations absolutely matter. So don't get all crazy thinking that these things can continue on their merry way. Will technology continue to outperform? Yeah, I do think it will. Because to your point, I don't think it's going to be a straight line from here to whatever the term is, herd immunity or being vaccinated, whatever that is. And by the way, that's probably not going to happen until sometime this mm-hmm. summer. I want to go to Bonwin with his word because this sort of dovetails with, uh, with Dan's acronym. Thank you, Dan, for pointing out that it's not actually a word, MAGA. Um, but Bonwin, what do you go with? Yeah, I went with online, everything online. I, yes, it is a corollary to Dan's point. I just couldn't get comfortable with the acronym. And essentially what you've seen is on both sides, both from the institutional and from the consumer side, that if you essentially didn't have a digital presence, you were rendered more or less obsolete. From the consumer side, you saw a tremendous sectoral shift in terms of people getting comfortable doing things that we liken to interpersonal type of exchanges, buying cars, buying homes, meetings, roadshows, across the board, across industries and sectors, online, uh, the ability to, to conduct commerce online, to consume online, to me, define 2020. Side note, that is the very first time, hats off the guy, I've heard Twerk use that way in a sentence. Something, something new every day. <laughs> twerking is like, isn't it like dancing? If you're twerking, you're not working. That was your phrase <laughs> like two years ago, Guy. Um, I, I want to get to this notion, though, and I think this is what, what investors have been struggling with all year. How much of the stuff that we've come to do online will stay on the line, so to speak, Brian Kelly? Yeah, I love the on the line. That sounds exactly how Guy would pronounce it. Uh, So I would say I think there is going to be a meaningful shift to online commerce, not only that, to an online presence. If you look at what happened with the Facebook and Instagram, a lot of small and medium businesses advertised and really ramped up their digital presence using those platforms. And I think that is going to continue into 21 for a couple different reasons. One, I think a lot of people, including myself, found it surprisingly easy to run their business digitally. Uh, Number two, it's incredibly convenient for the consumer. You just pull up your minivan, pop your back uh, hood there, and all of a sudden they put groceries in the back. It's incredible. So I think there's going to be a meaningful shift. Doesn't mean everything is done online, but I think that trend continues. Microsoft Teams daily average users went up tenfold, 11-fold actually to be exact, from July to October of this year. Dash orders, DoorDash orders are up 237% third quarter last year to third quarter this year. Walmart e-commerce sales up 79%. P 
Pinterest monthly active users up 37%. Guy Adami, we are a stock trading show. So which stocks mm-hmm. do you stick with? What, what big business surge will stay online? Yeah, I, I think we are stock trading show, and I, and I will answer that question. I think Pinterest is here to stay. I think they were a mature company prior to going public, and I think they're just building on a user base that was established 10 years prior to them ever going public. And, oh, by the way, again, Rick Heitzman, an early investor there. And I know Zoom's come off probably uh, 35% or so since that 588 high, but even if Zoom is just a 75% of what they were in peak 2020, I think that's stock worthy of a look here at these levels. So, you know, these things are not going away. We've conditioned people. There was somebody called, I think his last name ended in OV, oh, the Pavlov, a Pavlovian response. And to a certain extent, that's what's happened now. People now, uh, eight, nine, ten months into this thing, have learned and been conditioned to use these things. And regardless of what we look like this time next year, those companies aren't going away, in my opinion, Melissa. Dan Nathan, here's a would you rather to start the show. This may be... This is- I've never put these two stocks together in a would-you-rather, ever. This is history-making uh, in, in Fast Money. Zoom or American Airlines? Oof. Yeah, I, I'd probably American Airlines. I mean, listen, Zoom, you know, Guy said the company's not going away, but the stock can continue to wither. I mean, the stock's down 40% from its highs, but it's still up 400% on the year. This is a company that's pulled forward. I think what, what these guys are all talking about is the acceleration of existing trends that were already in place. And mm-hmm. we've seen such a mass acceleration, we're likely to see that all decelerate. So the companies and the services are here to stay. The competition will come in because they've, they've shown to be obviously fertile ground, but investors dealing with the deceleration of that growth over the next year or so will be the things why these stocks might underperform dramatically and why I think to what Bonwin and BK were saying, you might see mega cap tech, which still has stable growth at more reasonable prices, kind of probably trade better than these names over the next year. Since it was your word, Bonwin, what's your top online pick? Uh, Amazon. I mean, I don't even have to think about that one. It's just across the board, I think that that has come to kind of define, uh, you know, the current economy that we're in, Amazon. All right, let's get to the, uh, the next one. Lots of people made lots of money on Tech Guy. So what happened? This is your word. Mm. Oh, you want me to tell you? Oh, yeah. Am I allowed to use that word? Do I get a waiver for using the word of 2020? Because you know there are a lot of words that you can't say on television that I'm about to say now. You get to clear me? No. Okay. Then I'll give you the real word. Are you gonna, it's uh, gamification. No, I, I just sure gave you the answer. It's gamification. I thought you were going to say this word, which is not a censored word and not an FCC violation mm. in, in any way, mm-hmm. as far as I know. Okay, gamification. You never know with me. I mean, it's, I mean I'm liable to say just about anything. As you've come to, and by the way, a week from now, if we make it that long, it's 14 years on the show. So you've come pretty, you know, you've come accustomed to me just blurting. But I'll try not to blurt here. Gamification, I think that was a word that's been around for a while. But it's now in, in really taken hold in, in the wake of the <laughs> stock market. I think in a lot of ways, the stock market's found this gamification. And I think a lot of it's happened. And, oh, by the way, Danny Moses has spoken and written about this. And when, as sports went away and those gamblers, those online gamblers needed a place to, to gamble, they found it in the form of the stock market. And that's probably both a good and a bad thing. And, oh, by the way, zero commissions and the Robin Hood culture, all those things have gotten us to where we are now. I'm not suggesting it's good or bad. It is what it is. And I don't think that's going away anytime soon. So my word for 2020, uh, 
is gamification, Melissa. So gamification as it, as it pertains to the stock market, Dan, we just had a long conversation last week about SPACs and some of the new issuances in the market and how they've gone up in a crazy fashion, sometimes 10% gains in five trading days in a row. Is that evidence of this? What, what is that? Yeah, I think it is, Mel. I think it's supply demand. I think it's easy access. I think it's the fact that there's a lot of people who are forced not to work, not go to work, but put had money put in their bank accounts. They could just download an app. They could be approved for trading very quickly. They could do it on their iPhone. You don't need to know a lot when things go up every day and all you got to do is buy them. So we've been here before. We've seen this sort of um, kind of frenzy, this sort of sentiment. And I think Guy is right. The gamification of it, when you think about, you know, one of those trends, Mel, that you did not mention is online gaming. It's gone berserk. The, the minutes have gone crazy. So this is real life legal game on your iPhone um, with money that was just jammed in your bank account when you couldn't go to work. So to me, I think it sets up as a very dangerous situation because when investors don't know what it's like to lose money, um, when they start to lose money, that's when everyone heads to the door at the same time. We've seen this before, um, and I'm probably going to kind of hand the baton off to BK because the next one is what we've really seen this before, and we're seeing frenzies in it again. Anybody who knows BK will know what his word of the year is. So BK, go ahead. Yeah, you know what? No shock here. It's going to be crypto. And, uh, you know, this was the year that institutions really embraced crypto, Bitcoin in particular. And it really stemmed from what happened in March when we had that massive sell-off. And all of a sudden, all the central banks in the world came in and printed money. And I can't tell you how many calls I got in March and then again in August, right after the Federal Reserve's meeting in Jackson Hole or their virtual meeting for their Jackson Hole meeting, I got so many calls from institutional investors saying they are never going to stop printing money. Now's the time to get into Bitcoin and we're all in. So you look at who's gotten in, right? We had Paul Tudor Jones earlier in the year. We've got Mass Mutual. Uh, we've got Square. We've got MicroStrategy. Uh, we've got multiple different funds opening up, different ways to get in. And to, to Dan's point, you know, there's a lot more access and ease of access to this asset class now. So when you do have a couple thousand dollars in your bank account, Account. Yeah, you might want to go out and buy the MAGA stocks, but you also may want to go out and buy some crypto to protect yourself from the money printing. That being said, I agree with Dan. We have seen a lot of what has gone on. If you look at crypto in 26 to end of 2017, if you look at the stock market at 1999, these are the type of things, and I'm not saying crypto is at a top, but I'm saying you look at what's going on in there. You see the gamification. Back in 99, you had online brokers coming on, ease of access, right? All of those things, plumbers becoming traders, all of those things are happening again. The only issue with it is, of course, it can go on for six months or a year. As long as they want to print money, it can go on for a long time. But it does set up a dangerous, dangerous situation. Some might say that that's what drove 2020, hence these words that define 2020 guy. And nobody's going to say that these gains were not real. There are many people who made fortunes this year because they opened that Robinhood account or that TD Ameritrade account and mm -hmm. they traded uh, they, they traded tech stocks and they bought crypto on Coinbase, et cetera. And you're telling them we're entering waters that are dangerous? I'd say I don't think they're uncharted because to Dan and Brian's point and, and Bonwin as well, I mean, we've definitely seen this before. There's just maybe 
maybe it's a different level category of rapid. You know, maybe instead of a level five rapid, it's a level four. But you're definitely getting into the rapids like that Meryl Streep movie with Kevin Bacon, if you recall, Mel, which what I know you saw that? many years ago. It, it doesn't matter because you didn't see it. it. Really it's a doesn't. great movie, though, just for. Yeah. You know who else is in that? That guy that's always in the Will Ferrell movies. Um, Sort no of a idea. dumpy guy who was in the movie with Go Kevin ahead. Costner. Yes. Anyway, Fast I, it, it, so, sorry, I apologize. But no, the only reason we bring this up is not to scare people. It's just to sort of educate people and say that's great. We're not saying it's a bad thing that people open Robinhood accounts or Ameritrade accounts and have gotten into the stock market. It's just sort of be, be aware of what you're doing. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. And please don't at me and don't do the boomer thing. But I think at 9 out of 10 people, again, probably think Palantir is some Lord of the Rings reference instead of a data, you know, data company that has headquartered out of California and does extraordinarily great things with the government and other contracts. That's problematic. When things are going up, it doesn't matter what these companies do. But there is a semblance of trying to know what you're doing or mm-hmm. getting, getting yourself into uh, prior than getting in. A little knowledge goes a long way, in my opinion. One top strategist is drawing a parallel to another euphoric time on Wall Street, 2000. Julian, Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, great to have you with us. You heard uh, all the traders making the same sort of parallels, but you say this time is different. Really? Yeah. What, what I want to do is give you my word of mm-hmm. the year, and it's a summary of all of theirs, and I would say it's retail. Okay? There's no question about the fact that the retail investor has had a better year by and large than most every professional. And part of that is being able to stick with the trend and stick with the momentum. And actually when the momentum changed in September, retail changed and went towards the more cyclical place. All that having been said, there's no question about the fact that there are some parallels with 2000. The level of bullishness right now is very, very extreme. The call option volume is very, very extreme. Um, the valuations are as high as they were in 2000. And so, you know, Guy talked about valuations mattering earlier. They do. What we need to see is earnings support these valuations. I would suggest that's where the, the danger in the pullback lies. But what's really different about two, uh, now versus 2000 is yields are much lower. There's a lot more cash on the sidelines. And actually, instead of the rally narrowing, as it did towards the top in 2000, it spent the last several months broadening. I wanted to ask you about that cash on the sidelines. This is a stat that we got from the CNBC stock survey. 44% of those surveyed said that the amount of cash in their portfolio is about the same. 41% said lower than usual. 15% said higher than usual. Uh, I'm wondering, in terms of that cash, what is, where is that cash? How do we know? I mean, is, is it being held by asset managers right now in cash? In other words, they're being paid uh, to be in cash? Well, it's difficult to differentiate, Melissa, because sometimes I mean, if you look at uh, how cash was uh, at the last major bottom in 2009, those levels were very high. Um, but it took a number of months uh, for that cash to actually start to find its way into equities. Uh, because, frankly, that cash was a cushion against the recession, and that's where we still are. So it, while that cash, we do expect it to end up finding its way into the equity market, and it certainly did in November and early December, it's not going to be a straight line higher. And I would suggest that, again, when, when you're thinking about the professional money managers, yes, the cash levels are lower than normal. Um, simply because, A, you're coming to the end of a very positive year, 
And uh, frankly, if you've looked underinvested, you're likely to suffer for it. Hey, Julian, it's BK. So I'm curious, if your word of the year is retail, what stops the retail investor? When do they stop investing? Is it because a recession comes and they need the money? And is there anybody for them to hand the baton off to? Where it goes from here is, is much more difficult to say, BK. Um, as we've seen, when the retail investor really does become the marginal price setter, uh, as they have been for the last six months, you tend not to hand it off to anyone. But what we would suggest is if you look at uh, the parallel to 2000, the retail investor was the marginal price setter, the, you know, the bullish element for a full 18 months. So this can go on further. Uh, the issue is, is that where valuations are now and where sentiment is now, there are a number of things that could upset the market in the near term, which and we wouldn't be surprised to see a pullback on the order of 10 to 15 percent over the next several months based on the virus accelerating issues with the vaccine or for some other reason that might upset the earnings apple cart. Uh, so, you know, the market has definitely come a long way. Uh, it's not to say that, you know, we don't think it can't go further. Uh, we think 4,000 a year in 2021 is very reasonable, uh, but uh, near term is, is looking quite full. What are the odds uh, that BTIG puts on Georgia flipping the Senate? You know, I feel like the markets are, are comfortable with the Senate remaining in Republican hands. But here we are talking about President Trump finally signing a stimulus package and the markets had priced that that was going to happen a while ago. Yeah, and and that certainly I think the market's reaction today is telling you that either way, however, the Georgia Senate race uh, sorts itself out because the balance of power is going to be so fine and the economy is still not really, you know, on its full footing and probably won't be until the second half of next year, that the odds for further stimulus remain quite elevated. Um, the one thing we would say is that there is this tendency to believe that um, the market could sell off if the Democrats take both of those seats in Georgia. We would say actually the long run market history is contrary to that. Uh, in fact, unified government tends to outperform divided by government on the order of 300 basis points per annum over the course of 90 years. So we may be fearing that, but that could be sort of the trigger for that correction that we think might happen naturally, which would be a buying opportunity. Julian, great to speak with you. Happy New Year. Thanks. Happy New Year to everyone. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Let's say the Senate flips guy. What does the market do? You know, you threw Julian and Uncle Charlie with that question, but he really waited on that curveball and, and just lashed it to left field. Good for him. He had a mm -hmm. great answer. I think the answer to that question, because I don't think the market's pricing it in, but not in the places you would think. I don't think the market's pricing it in in terms of the U.S. dollar and the, and the ability for the dollar to go precipitously lower if they were to uh, win both those seats. So my answer to that question would be, Look out below in the dollar and watch the resource trade continue to work. So I'm with you on the question. My answer is slightly different. Brian Kelly. Yeah, I would think the knee jerk reaction would be a sell off in the market. But I would have to agree with Julian. I think it's a buying opportunity. I mean, if you think about if the Democrats take control, they are more likely to 
stimulate more, to print more, and to otherwise support the economy. And I think Julian said one really interesting thing. We've had retail in this environment mm -hmm. for six months. Remember in 99, as he said, or 2000, it was another 18 months or another 12 months that it continued. So as cautious and as frothy as this may look, it can continue for a long time. With a democratic flip, I think that would be fuel for further frothiness. Let's get now to a developing story out of Washington, D.C. Elon Moy has the latest details. Elon. Melissa, the House is now voting to increase the size of those stimulus checks from $600 to $2,000 a person. Lawmakers are trying to use a special process to speed up the passage of this bill, which means that they will need a two-thirds majority in order to pass it. If they cannot hit that number, then the House will try again to bring up this bill under regular order. The bottom line, Melissa, is that this is expected to pass the House tonight. We're just not sure exactly when. Back over to you. All right. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy. Coming up, Alibaba stock recovering today, even though it's feeling heat from Chinese regulators. A look at whether it is time to take some profits. And this precious metal is surging in 2020's final days, and we have a new way to play it. we got those stories and much more when Fast Money returns. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a wild day for shares of Alibaba, climbing back from a big drop overnight to end the day slightly higher. For more on the news that sparked this move, let's get to Deirdre Bosa. D. Well, Melissa, developments over the weekend putting more pressure on Jack Ma's empire. That's Ant Group and Alibaba, of course. Chinese regulators handed fintech company Ant a five-point compliance agenda that includes orders to revamp its credit business, return to its roots in payments, put up more of its own capital and be regulated more like a bank. These are major differences to its business model. Meanwhile, Beijing has launched an investigation into alleged monopolistic practices at Alibaba. Now, the writing was on the wall back in late October when Jack Ma publicly criticized the Chinese banking system. Now, of course, this wasn't the first time that Ma has spoken out against the government, but this time Beijing may be willing to tap into growing resentment against the growing wealth gap in China at large, even the people's billionaire, as Ma is known. Now, this is raising concerns that Beijing could be drifting towards a very hard line against big tech in China at large. Between Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com, and Meituan, nearly $200 billion has been wiped out in Hong Kong over just two sessions, $100 billion from Alibaba's market cap alone. But at the same time, Melissa, we have seen in the past that Beijing's bark can be bigger than its bite. So key question going forward is whether regulators will follow through with the tough talk or whether they've made Jack Ma pay enough and saved enough face. Back to you. All right, Debo, thank you. Deidre Bosa. Um, it's interesting because it, within this whole story is the context of the regulators are going after Ma, they're going after Ant Financial and how it is structured. We don't know, though, what the ramifications are if they don't follow through. Um, Bonowin, there's a lot of uncertainty, in other words, in the story. We don't know what happens if they follow through. We don't know what happens to the companies if they do, if they do follow through. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think the unknown uh, factor here is what has kind of led to hysteria on the downside. As you mentioned, they've lost over $100 billion of market cap. The Ant IPO has been more than priced in. And it's seemingly we've forgotten about all the different verticals that that Baba does have, whether it comes to, to e-commerce, processing, cloud computing, all of the above. So, you know, really here, going forward, it's a matter of, is this going to be a situation that is isolated to Baba, or is this going to be something that has broader ramifications for tech? And if you look at the way the other names of trading, look at the volume as well, you really see this seems to be an isolated event to Baba. And you've seen the shares after trading down, having a bit of uh, pressure today, actually, you know, closing out the day flat after being down about 15, 20% on Thursday. So I think as they continue to get a bit more um, details around what the deliverables are, I think the risk here is to the upside. The unknown, the immeasurable is essentially why you would see people run for the exits the way that they have in previous trading sessions. Dan, why, why, why deal with the unknown of Chinese regulators? Why go there when you can invest well, in guess- tech companies here? Yeah, good good point. I mean, Mel, th- th- what a stark example. A few months ago, Trump was trying to break up the Chinese dominance of TikTok here in the U.S. Um, and, and try to break them up and got absolutely nowhere. Yet the Chinese are now trying to break up one of their own behemoths in a way to just rein them in in a little way. So the question that you asked me is why bother with Baba when you don't really, the, the headwinds are going to keep coming. Well, one reason is, is that this company trades at, at probably the the, the cheapest discount to many of its peers in a long time, trading about 18 times next year's earnings, expected to grow 20%, uh, 25% sales growth. And maybe the sum of the parts is worth more than what we have here. Maybe it forces them to actually get better in line with what, I guess, U.S. investors would like to see as far as transparency of these different businesses. Who knows? I just think that there's going to be a lot of people picking at this name below 225, which, if you look on the chart, was a massive breakdown level. It was the level in which it broke out earlier this summer and went on that huge ramp. So I suspect you will see investors looking to pick at this name below that level. Guy, let's, see, let's say you saw this chart. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know it was a Chinese company. You didn't know the Chinese regulators and the PBOC were after this company, after its affiliates. What would you think of this company? Indulge me for a second, Melissa, and I'm going to answer your question. But in 2010, one of my favorite artists, uh, B.O.B., came out with a song, Airplanes. Great song. I'm sure our crack staff and EC has access to it, but I used to think one of the lyrics is I could really use a whoosh right now. Well, you got that whoosh to the downside in almost a month and a half. It went from 315 to 215. And to Dan's point, you got what you were looking for. Here it is, traded 70 million shares today, three times normal volume, basically traded down to and held the prior all-time high of January of this year. I think it's a huge opportunity. Everything we talked about and been concerned about and as you know, Debo knows, and she broke it down, I think it's in the stock. So there's not a lot of the risk reward is set for you. It comes in the form of today's low, and you're looking for a move probably back up to 300 on any incremental good news. And you like the way I threw that airplane thing in there because that was just genius, by the way. I opinion. knew what you were talking about. Maybe I could, I could give a judgment of whether or not it's genius. Um, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. The red-hot housing trade could be primed for a serious cool-down. We'll dive into the outlook and bring you the trade. And later, Santa's come and gone, and the gifts are all unwrapped. 
But who were the big winners this holiday season? We'll find out when Fast Money returns. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a hot year for the housing trade, but our next guest says there could be trouble on the home front as we head into 2021. Let's bring in Matthew Poynton, property economist at Capital Economics. Matthew, great to have you with us. Hi. We've heard about the flight from cities. Mortgage rates are at record lows or close to record lows. What causes uh, this reversal as you're forecasting? Yeah, well, there were three main factors driving the house, housing boom over the past year. Uh, one, as you mentioned, was record low mortgage rates. The Fed stepped in, cut rates. They also increased their purchases of MBS. Uh, and then you had uh, no real transactions over the spring because of the economic shutdowns. So all that demand was shifted to the second half of the year. And so that's why sales took off. And finally, you got this displacement effect where people had enough of cities. They couldn't stay in cities any longer. Uh, so they decided to move to the suburbs or perhaps even further afield. And although those three factors, you know, they're not really going to continue into the next year. We think mortgage rates will stay very low, probably close to record lows. They're not going to drop any further. You know, we're, we're forecasting 10-year yields to stay around 1% for the next two years, mortgage rates around 3%. But they're not going to drop any further. And that means that the boost to affordability we've already seen, that's going to fall off because uh, house prices are taking off. And that's already cut out the advantage you've got from those, from those lower mortgage rates. Uh, at the same time, you haven't got this pent-up demand from the spring. That's going to be exhausted. That's going to fall away. And with vaccines coming through, life is going to start to return to normal. A lot of these people who left maybe want to go back to cities. We don't think that move away from cities will continue. So it sounds like it's just sort of a natural mean reversion uh, trade going on within the housing market. I mean, housing prices are going to go higher. Uh, that eventually is going to sort of be self-capped because people want to pay those prices and people want to get back to normal. So that boom in the su- suburbs, that's over. Uh, we think it's, yeah, uh, certainly next year sales are going to drop back to the past trend. Uh, also, I forgot to mention the supply side is very important here. There's just not enough homes for sale. You know, the number of existing homes for sale has dropped to record lows every month for the past six months. 
We don't see that improving next year. So even if you wanted to buy a house, you're gonna it's gonna be a struggle next year. People, you know, they're gonna they're gonna probably wait their time to see if anything better comes available. Thanks for joining us. When you look across segments in housing, whether it be cities versus suburbs, multifamily versus single family, would you mind isolating where you think the, the most weakness will be? Uh, I think next year it's going to be uh, single family. So this year it was very good for single families. People left the cities. They, uh, they bought up nice homes in the suburbs. Uh, next year, uh, I think that's going to start to reverse. We saw a lot of people leave cities. Many of them didn't buy a house. They just were moving with their parents for a spike the share of people living with their parents. And as life returns to normal, we think they're going to start to come back to cities. Uh, there's also been very aggressive rent cuts in most big cities. And that should encourage a lot of these people back home, uh, out of the suburbs and further field, back into cities. Well, you know, it's not just, cities aren't just good for jobs. They're, they're there for many other reasons. You can come back for the culture, entertainment. And as that comes back, those people should, should move back. In terms of your forecast, Matthew, for where tenure yields stay, um, and where mortgage rates will remain, or you said around 3% next year, how much of that is predicated on the notion that the Fed will stay with its MBS purchases and keep that steady as opposed to reallocating the MBS purchases to other parts of the Treasury curve? Uh, well, I think well, they're committed to, to buying up $40 billion a month uh, for now. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to make a huge difference when they, when they ease off on, on that, on that uh, uh, purchases. We saw before when they eased back on MBS purchases, there wasn't a big impact on mortgage rates. I think as the economy recovers, banks become more comfortable with uh, lending on housing, then the spreads will stay about where they are as, as it is. So I'm not sure it's going to have a huge impact if and when they start to, to pull back from the MBS program. Matthew, great to speak with you. Thank you. Matthew Poynton of uh, Capital Economics. Uh, Brian Kelly, we've talked about this trade. You saw it in the retail sales number mm -hmm. for the holiday season, home improvement and decor was up. That's a continua continuation of the trend that we saw all throughout the pandemic. People buying uh, cast iron, you know, brazing pans, as well as large sofas. And here Matthew is predicting a reversion to the mean. What happens? Yeah, I believe those cast iron brazing pans are called a Dutch oven for those out there who are not culinarily uh, inclined. Uh, so, you know, I, to, to, to Matthew's point, I think there is the, the, the easy trade has been made in housing, right? It doesn't mean that it can't continue to go on. The real question is going to be, what is the supply response? We've heard it from everybody, from every major home builder. There's not enough houses out there. So how quickly can you get houses on the market, and how does that impact the pricing? Because a lot of what he was talking about is predicated on the fact that there's no supply. Housing prices are going to go up out of reach of people. But if you have a supply response, that can change it. So we'll have to watch in the first quarter you know, what our housing starts look like and building permits as well. And you know, if so inclined, what does it look like? Dutch oven uh, factory production. Quickly, Guy, in terms of the retailers that sell into this trend, which ones have staying power, even if the housing market softens? Yeah, I thought restoration hardware was the answer. I'm obviously not going to take the bait that Brian put out there. But what I will say is, you know, restoration hardware, the price action today concerned me, albeit on light volume. But, you know, traded up to that early December high, seemingly failed, reversed in a major way. That's somewhat concerning, something to look at. Um, the, the home builders, real quick. You have major double tops in Pulte Homes and Toll Brothers. Line in the sand for this entire trade, in my opinion, comes in the form of TLT. If mm. that were to close below 154, 
I think you got to take your money and run in the entire home building trade, mm. Melissa. All right, coming up, polish off the good silver, because one options trader is making a bet that the precious metal is set to shine on. We'll bring you the details when we come right back. And don't forget, we've got a supersized edition of Fast Money tonight and all this week. Send us your questions at CNBC Fast Money on Twitter. We've got a lot more show right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Silver surging again today, now on a three-day winning streak and up about 50% this year. And Bonowin saw one trade in the options market that could signal even bigger gains in 2021. Bono, what did you see? Yeah, so I'm taking a look at uh, SLV. You're seeing calls out pace puts three to one after being as imbalanced as four to one in earlier parts of the trading session. Taking a look at the option implied volatility, options are implying about a 17% move in either direction between now and March expiry. And the trade that stuck out to me, about 10,000, there was a buyer of 10,000 SLV, March 28, 34 call spreads, paying about 70 cents. So you're risking 70 here to make about six bucks, or about eight and a half to one. Those are remarkable risk rewards. Now for that, the caveat, the flip side to that, that the trade-off is that your break-even is very distant here. So about 28.70 or 117 percent of current spot. I think this is a momentum trade. You've got three months of of uh, time value uh, at your side. Expect this to be a momentum trade where the guy actually takes some of this off into a momentum higher. All right. It's quite a moment. I mean, that's quite a trade on momentum up 39% since March. You know, what's interesting is that we just literally got a headline citing CFTC data saying that speculators raise their net short U.S. dollar bets to the highest since September guy, which obviously is helping to fuel this overall trade. Do you think that silver could have that much momentum? I do. And, and, and typically I'm concerned when everybody's on that side of the boat in terms of the short dollar trade. But sometimes everybody's right. Sometimes the herd is right. And the, in the form of the dollar, I do think that. And just go back and look how shallow that rally was the day the market tanked. I think it was last Monday. And look at how it rallied and came right back off. In my opinion, the dollar's going lower. I'm with those shorts. I think it should be lowered. Citibank put out a note a month and a half ago saying they saw a 20 percent decline in the U.S. dollar in 2021. I agree. And I think Bonowin's trade is going to be spot on in terms of what happens in the silver market. And I've talked about the way to play it is P-A-A-S. And by the way, if I got to have a second word of the year for 2020, right. it would be icebreaker. Icebreaker. As in B, icebreaker. <laughs> All right. Shares of Fubo TV falling hard after one analyst said investors should be running for the door. The warning uh, this call might send to the rest of the market. Much more fast money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Fubo TV getting crushed today after light shed analyst Rich Greenfield initiated the stock with a sell rating and an $8 price target. This is a stock, as you remember, we highlighted last week when it was running a five-day winning streak with 10% plus gains each day. Dan, you're the one who, who first flagged this. Um, and we talked about this in terms of frothing yeah. the market. Yeah, so, so this company went public through a SPAC. We've seen a lot of volatility and a lot of recent names that have gone public through SPAC mergers here. We know that the disclosures are less than that of a normal IPO process, that sort of thing. And it really comes down to supply and demand, and it comes into these new entrants in the markets. They've only seen these things go up, so they rip them up, they rip them up, they gap up 10% a day. Well, let me tell you something, people. They go the other way, too, and we're starting to see that in some of these names. And I just fear that a lot of these names are in very weak hands, at least the hands that brought them 
come up to these levels. We know that there's lockups on a lot of these things. So, you know, buyer beware. And when you have a uh, analyst like uh, Greenfield, I think he said that this might be the most attractive short he's seen in a very long time. I, I can't speak to it. I don't understand what this company does. Um, all I understand that there was a massive mania in the stock for a couple of weeks. And generally, those things don't end particularly well in the stock market. I mean, a 10% gain each day for five days, Brian Kelly. That's quite unusual. <laughs> That's like Bitcoin type of moves, and, and I agree completely. I don't care what the asset is. If something goes parabolic, you need to take some off the table. And what's interesting about this particular sector, Rich Greenfield's note, talked about how this is really a bad business, and you do see other people in it. I happen to use YouTube TV. It saves me a lot of money on my cable, but I'm a user of the product. It's benefiting me. That doesn't mean it's a good business, which is what Rich Greenfield was pointing out. This is a bad business to be in. So you had that runoff. Here comes the sell-off. If you get another pop and you're stuck in this thing, BK would be a seller. Yeah. Bonoin, I'm not sure if there's options activity at all in this sort of name since it's so new, but how would you be inclined if you were if you wanted to short this thing? Well, the first thing I'd have to do is look at the financing costs. And typically what you're seeing in Fubo and a lot of these other names is that they're extremely hard to borrow, mm. meaning you have to go borrow the shares in order to short them. When, the, when you're paying like 50% per annum, the amount of money that you need this thing to go down for, for you to actually have a profitable short is quite astronomical. So it's tough. The typical, the typical way that you want to do it is either synthetically own the stock or just buy puts. But I, I don't know where the implied volatilities are. Um, uh, on it off the top of my head. All right. but, be, but generally speaking, that is how I would look to play it. Be sure to tune in to our very special, very special bonus hour Fast Money coming up next. We're answering your burning stock questions, so don't be shy. You can send us a tweet at CNBC Fast Money. We'll try and answer them on the air. we got final trades next. Time for the final trades. Go around the horn. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I liked our guest on the housing market. I think you can sell the XHB here. The icebreaker. One times price to book, uh, loosening standards in terms of being able to buy back shares, Goldman Sachs. BK Brian Kelly. So I like Bonowin's trade on silver. I'm in it. It's a print, money printer play plus a green play. Guys. SLV. Guys. I like the risk reward in Alibaba. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. Don't go anywhere. Special bonus hour right after the short break. Hey there, Mad Money fans. Kramer is off tonight, but fear not. We've got a bonus hour of Fast Money coming your way. We're answering all your questions about the hot stocks you are eyeing right now. With us tonight, Guy Dami, Dan Nathan, and Brian Kelly. So we start on this first trading day since Christmas with retail. And even as the pandemic forced most consumers to steer clear of brick-and-mortar stores, data shows some big increases in the shopping figures. MasterCard spending polls found sales overall rose 3% versus last year with big bumps in home furnishings and electronics, all while clothing, department store sales dropped. So to kick things off, we'll start with a stock dominating the electronics space. Hi, I'm Haley from Boston. I am 14 years old and just started investing. I bought Apple at 122 and it is now at 136. Do I hold it long term or sell? 
for a 14-year-old guy, long-term could be a very long time. What's your advice for Haley? It's amazing the demographic of this show. I mean, it's very a, young. It's a, I love that. I mean, <laughs> the youth of America likes Boomer television. Haley, first of all, thanks for your question. And this is this is does not for this show, but don't focus on where you bought it. Just focus on where you think it's going. And 137.98 was the high back on September 2nd, I believe. Basically got there today. They report in early February. Um, I think for your age and for what you're looking to do, I think you sit tight and, and ride this thing into the sunset because when you're my age, it's probably going to be a multiple of where it is now. If you're looking to trade it, though, the level we're currently at gives you real opportunity to maybe pare down your position and look to buy it maybe cheaper into earnings on the second. You just had a, a very cautious Wall Street Journal, heard on the street column talking about how this stock is now three times the valuation it was based on 2015 when they first started talking about getting into automotive. So again, if you have the temerity to trade it, I would take some off the table, look to buy back cheaper. If you just want to enjoy the ride, I'll see you, you know, when you're my age, when the stock is significantly higher. <laughs> All right, that's great advice for Haley. I want to put a pin in this conversation because we got breaking news out of Washington. Elon Moy's got the details. Elon. $2,000. The final vote tally was 275 to 134, with more than 40 Republicans joining with Democrats to pass this measure. It now heads to the Senate, where President Trump has said that Republicans will take action on this bill, but we will see if and how they bring this to the floor sometime tomorrow. Back to you. This is uh, looked at as sort of um, a Hail Mary, Elon. Not much of a chance of passing the Senate. Well, it's probably not going to pass the Senate as is. The Democrats' mm -hmm. bill um, is a little bit different from what the president had initially requested. So there are some differences still to be worked out here. But one of the reasons why President Trump said he signed the COVID relief package was because the Senate would take action. We are still waiting to see how the Senate intends to make good on that promise to the president. Yeah. What action is the big question. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. Let's get back to our retail conversation. Um, let's just uh, get one more comment on Apple, BK. What would you tell 14-year-old Haley? Yeah, well, I mean, kudos, Haley, for getting into the market early. And, you know, BK being a Boston boy, he wishes you had a little bit more of an accent. But that's okay. You've got time to develop that. Uh, while you're developing your Boston accent, I would hold on to Apple. I think you've got new product lines coming out that this market in general will begin to price in the development of those well before those markets are actually developed. So uh, I think, you know, you bought the one in the 120s, I believe it was. I think you let this ride and, and enjoy the fruits of your labor. All right, or let's labor. Get, as they say in Boston. Let's get to another question about retail. Hi, my name is Ben. Say, I got a question for you about Minneapolis-based retailer Target. I got into this company in the spring because I thought their investments in digital would position them well during the pandemic. Um, so I guess my question is, do you think their growth is sustainable and that the stock will keep working in a vaccinated and reopened America? Or do you think that money is better spent elsewhere? Thank you. Dan, what do you tell Ben? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that, you know, some retailers have done very well because of the investments. The reason why you bought this stock back in the spring. And when you look at the quarter that Target just reported, 
Um, they saw their online e-commerce sales up 150% year over year. But here's the kicker. That's only 15 or 16% of their total sales um, in the quarter. So you're going to continue to see that percentage of e-commerce sales go up. Are they taking share? Well, uh, the CEO says on their last call that they are. That's giving them the opportunity to take more retail share from a lot of their competitors. So this stock's going to continue to work. But here's the thing. Over the last few years, this stock has had about three 30% peak to trough declines. It's up 100% from its March lows. It's up 200% from its December 2018 lows. It's trading about 20 times earnings, not particularly expensive. So I guess the point is, if you're at a full position, I think you look to take some profits, keep a piece intact, but get ready to reload on one of those sell-offs that you're likely to get over the next year or so. Guy, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Dan on this one. You have seen peak to trough declines that have been significant over the last year, year and a half, and good for you for getting in for the reasons you got into. I can make an argument, a pretty cogent one, that you could see Target uh, up to $240 a show, and that would be a 27 multiple on next year's earnings, which is sort of Walmart territory, and we can argue whether or whether or not that's justified. The reason why we like Target for so long was the fact that it was trading at such a trough multiple. Now it's trading at a reasonable multiple. The question you have to ask yourself uh, is do you think there's further room in the multiple? I do, and I think the stock can continue to go higher from here. I think trying to compare it to Walmart, as, as Guy had pointed out, you have to believe that Walmart deserves that multiple, and therefore Target should close the gap on that multiple. So, Brian Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, well, I heard uh, in a, at a show about an hour ago that multiples don't matter, that valuations <laughs> don't matter. So I guess it goes higher. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I've thought of Target as... The, almost the catch-up trade to Walmart because they were a little bit behind Walmart in their digital strategy. So I do think there is room for that multiple expand and for them to try to catch a little bit of what Walmart did, has done. Let's call it over the next two quarters or so. After that, we'll have to see. But, I, but if I had to choose one or the other, you know, which one would I rather? I would rather target. Oh, self, would you rather? But that was a very logical one, so yeah. well played. Um, let's drill down on e-commerce and this digital strategy. Uh, now with a stock that was one of this year's biggest winners. Hey, you guys, it's Marquise here calling from Las Vegas, Nevada. How you guys doing, Fast Money? Um, as you can see, I'm on this Think or Swim. I uh, was wondering about Shopify. Do I go long? Um, I made some good money before the uh, fake out of the sign stimulus um, and it took a big drop today but I was still looking to go long and was looking for anything after uh, February 19th after earnings um, fast money what do you guys think about this do I hold Shopify is this a good you know ticker to, to go long in or do I look elsewhere hey good luck to you guys happy Monday and happy trading thank you Marquise in Nevada up 189% this year. Dan, what do you say? Well, first things, Marquise, thank you. You're like the exact opposite of our Twitter trolls who actually don't wish us a happy Monday and tell us they don't like our advice. But thank <laughs> you for calling in. Um, here's the thing. This thing has been a rocket ship. And, you know, when we talk about acceleration of certain trends and technologies that are enabling um, bricks and mortar businesses to, to actually operate in a pandemic, Shopify did all of that. And it's been well rewarded. You know, it's up 200% of the year. It's got a $150 billion market cap. It trades at 50 times 
times sales. That is an astronomical um, a, a multiple of sales for a company this big with a, with a market cap this big. So to me, I think there's some room. This stock kind of was vacillating between 850 and, and 1050 or so, and then it just recently broke out. I think you wait for this thing to come in a little bit. It's got to kind of build or work into this multiple here. Um, so I think 2021 is going to be the year that a name like this, investors start pricing in what deceleration looks like. And, and I'm not sure you want to be in that right now for that purpose. I mean, aside from the recent tick higher in, in the month of December or so, it looks like it had been working to form some sort of base since about August time frame, Brian Kelly. So how, what do you think the stock looks like? Yeah, so Marquise from, from Nevada, uh, you probably understand risk-reward fairly well. Uh, that's what this game is trading is all about, is risk-reward. And so we have had that breakout down 6.5%, 6.4% today. So when I look at it, I say, okay, we had what was resistance, now can become support. Let's call it a 1130 is roughly your support level. So you've got a really good risk-reward. The way I would trade it is I would buy a third of it right here. I would stop out, let's call it below 1100 on that third, and I would add a third as you get some momentum to the upside just to make sure that this isn't a false breakout and that resistance really is support now. Guy? It's amazing. You know, it's incredible. You're in my head because I was going to use the whole Louis the, the bigger the base, the higher and outer space thing that she does so well. And you nailed it, Mel. I mean, it had been moving sideways, building a base since August 5th, right around the levels that Brian just cited. So everybody's doing a great job breaking this down. I think the risk-reward sets up pretty well. What I would mention, though, keep an eye on this. Poshmark, I think, just filed for an IPO. You know, there's more competition coming in the space, typically more competition should be um, somewhat deleterious to the stock price. So that's just something to watch. But I think that 1080 to $1,100 level is a line in the sand and a good level now. What was resistance becomes support. All right, coming up on this extended edition of Fast Money, we're answering more of your burning questions. EV stocks have been front and center this year, but what about their suppliers? We'll find out what direction they're driving in next year. Plus, how the pandemic has changed the way we shop. We'll get some answers when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to a special bonus hour of Fast Money. We're turning to one of the hottest sectors of the year, electric vehicles, and the batteries that power them. Hey, Fast Money traders. I know you've been reluctant to recommend some EV stocks, but I was curious if there's any lithium producers you'd be recommending this year. Thanks. Happy holidays. All right. Before we get to the traders on their thoughts on this one, let's bring in Oppenheimer's Colin Rush to break down where he sees some of these lithium-focused stocks going. Colin, great to have you with us. Um, what's interesting I noticed when I looked at, at the price of lithium is that they have actually gone down this year, but some of these lithium producers, their stocks have done quite well. What is driving that? Yeah, I think it's two things. First, uh, you know, Greenfield Lithium Mine takes five to seven years to, to come up to uh, to full production, and so it really is the longest uh, pull in, in the tent in the EV supply chain. And so I think folks are anticipating a shortage, you know, really starting in 2022, where things are going to get tight for lithium. And then the second thing that, that we look at, which we don't think uh, is fully appreciated, is really getting the contaminants out of the lithium. So getting to 99.9% lithium is uh, is not complicated. Getting the secondary and tertiary contaminants out of those, uh, those uh, formulations 
as you go into more complex battery chemistries is, is really challenging. So that's where we look at a company like Albemarle is really uh, a leader in the space and, and uh, a company that's going to grow with the market very well. But how much of the 100% return this year in Albemarle is, is pricing in that shortage period that'll start in 2022 that you mentioned? Yeah, I think there's a certain amount that's there, but right now I don't think folks really have, have settled on where multiples are going to uh, going to be for this group over over the next three to five years. And so as we look out to 2025, you know, we see a company that can earn 12 to 15 dollars of earnings, and there's certainly more uh, more to go with this stock as, as we uh, see them execute on the plan. Hey, it's BK. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, a lot of people talk about in the last segment, we talked a little bit about silver being a green play, maybe part of kind of this push in the EV. Uh, is that kind of a secondary or tertiary way to play this? If you're a little concerned about, you know, being up 100% in some of these other names? You know, I, I, I wouldn't look at the, it's some of those trace, uh, trace elements, especially something as, as uh, expensive as silver. We've seen that get designed out of any number of electrical uh, elements. And so I would, I would stick with the core uh, drivers here. And if I was going to get into something a little bit adjacent, you know, I might look at an alternative to EVs. If we get tight on supply, you, you know, then I'd look at a company like Westport that's working on natural gas to meet, uh, you know, the, the EU emissions uh, requirements for, for heavy duty and is pushing into the hydrogen space. What happens to lithium producers, the stocks, um, if somebody like an Apple, let's say, gets into the market? Does that crunch in 2020 become that much more severe? You know, so so far we haven't seen, you know, the, the tangible evidence that, that a company like Apple is really, really ready to, to ramp up. You know, certainly it would improve sentiment. But we're seeing all of the OEMs really have, uh, you know, the, the result of an existential crisis, you know, the, that they've, they've run into because of Tesla over the last couple of years really worked hard to, to ramp up production. And, and I think the, the bulk of those companies really moving forward and, and managing that supply chain are, are really driving what's going on in the market right now. All right. Colin, thank you so much for your for your thoughts and analysis. We appreciate it. Colin Rush of Oppenheimer. Uh, Guy Dami, we often talk about the EV makers. We don't often talk about the supply chain necessarily. How do you think about this area? Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, he used an interesting word, recommend. I don't think we ever recommend anything. You know, we talk about stocks, we give levels, and that's something I would want to do here. So these are not recommendations, but I will say Albemarle is a wonderful company. But look at the move it just had. It's gone from 90 to 150, pretty much in a straight line since October, on the back of exactly what he's just talking about. Mm -hmm. And in terms of valuation, it's trading at ridiculous levels, historic to itself, number one. What great company, huge run. Uh, there is a company, LAC, uh, Lithium Americas, which is, I believe right now, $1.3 billion market cap company that Stiefel just initiated on with a $13.5 price target, I think. Very volatile name. Uh, that's something you can look at to trade as well. And if you're looking just to sort of monitor the whole thing, I do I think the ETF is LIT. I can't speak to the uh, market cap of that. I can't speak uh, in terms of recommendation, but I can tell you the move in that has been parabolic. So just be careful in this space because as quickly as these things go higher, you've seen it, uh, it goes, they don't go down twice as fast. Yeah, and obviously, as, as Colin mentioned, Tesla Battery Day was a huge mover for all of these stocks. Uh, Dan, how do, you, how do you think about this space? So 
A lot of that stuff is way above my pay grade. You know, last week, uh, I think on the program, I pitched in a power pitch, AutoNation. And one of the reasons I like AutoNation here is that they've been investing in Alphabet's Waymo. That is their autonomous um, driving unit. They've uh, launched a, um, a, a repair deal with their fleets and that sort of thing. I, I think that's a good way to kind of play the picks and shovels of this trend that we just don't know where it's going. EV and autonomous and fleets and robo-taxis and all that sort of stuff. And I like the fact that AutoNation is killing it right now in used cars. We're seeing interesting trends there, and we're also seeing them migrate more and more of their sales online here. So to me, that's one way you could play it. All right, let's stick with cars here and get to the next question. Hey, Fast Money. My name is Zaheer. I'm from Arlington, Virginia. And I have a question about General Motors. I know they released a new Hummer EV. My question is, you think they're taking a page out of the Nicole playbook by overpromising on specs that they probably can't deliver. Hmm. Brian Kelly, your thoughts on GM for Zaheer? Yeah, so Zaheer, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the overpromising. I don't think that GM is the type of company that's going to overpromise. But if I look at GM and Ford together, they look very much like a similar trade. They have two hot products coming out, the Hummer, which everybody wants, and the, the new Ford Bronco, which BK wants. If anybody out there is looking to get me a late Christmas gift, the new Ford Bronco would be perfect. But they both look like the same trade to me. You're betting on these new product lines. I actually think from, from this point on in GM, you've got a great uh, low to shoot against over the last week or so. And I think you can play the trend higher. I wouldn't be concerned about overpromising. Guy, GM or Ford? GM. And, you know, kudos to Tim Seymour, who's not here, obviously, this evening. But... And he's been pretty steadfast. And finally, after many years in terms of the stock just going sideways, it's starting to perform. And it becomes a bit of a math problem. If you believe that GM has figured this out, and forget about the overpromise or under-deliver, if they figured it out and are ready to move into 21st century, you just put a nine multiple on the $6 or so they're going to earn, and you have a $54 stock. And I don't think that's unreasonable in this environment. So good question. Uh, think about this as a multiple play, and I think uh, it works into the low to mid-50s. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money, the bonus edition. We've got tons of your questions left to answer, including a look at how much more shine this gold rally can, can give off. We'll break down where the metal is heading next and how you can play it. But first, Santa's come and gone, and the presents are open, so time now for all those returns. We're digging into how the pandemic continues to shape consumer trends. That's next. Welcome back uh, to a bonus hour of Fast Money. The holiday shopping season is over, but the shippers aren't out of focus just yet. Hi, my name is Neil, and I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm looking at FedEx and wondering what is going on. Is it overvalued, or am I missing a long-term decline here? I had high hopes for this. Before we get to the traders, let's get to Frank Holland on how the pandemic continues to shift shopping and return trends. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. You know, returns on the day after Christmas, they were 230% higher than the average day in 2020. This is according to online return firm Returnly. A new report from them, it's making a case that December the 26th is now the busiest day of the year for returns as opposed to the conventional wisdom. It's a day in early January. Also, different categories seeing a dramatic shift in buying and also returning habits. For example, 
underwear and intimates, seeing a 134% increase in returns year over year from Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales, furniture up 36%. These are categories where consumers, they're still really just trying to figure out and adjust to shopping online, according to the CEO of Returnly. His research also shows that work from home is a major factor in the 100% increase in return times. Instead of being five to 10 days to return the items, shoppers are now taking up to 20 days to return merchandise. You know, they've changed their habits. They no longer go to the office. So they no longer commute and run these errands as they go to work. According to CBRE, the average return loses almost 60% of its value when you send it back because of the time it takes to get back on the shelf and, of course, logistics costs. But Returnly says this year, direct-to-consumer brands think Allbirds and Third Love, they've actually increased repeat buyers and they've gained market share because their reverse logistics are more efficient and their returns are faster. And of course, UPS and FedEx, big players in reverse logistics and returns the holiday season and year-round. They got to get the goods back. You know, Franca, I spoke to you really early this morning on Squawk Box, and you had that stat of returns of underwear and intimates up 134%. Yes. And I, I still... I still can't get over, I mean, it's like 12 hours later, and I still can't get over that stat. It's just, it's staggering how much that particular category has increased compared to the other categories, which also increased, but not by that degree. Yeah, it's a little cringeworthy when you think about it, but when you take another step, uh, kind of step looking, looking into it, most guys, I mean, just realistically, we buy our underwear in a pack off of a shelf. We see our size, we buy it. Now buying online, it may be more complicated. Um, right. When I spoke to the CEO of Returnly, he said, in general, it's more on the intimate side, which are generally ladies' undergarments, and it's a lot harder to buy those things. Apparently, I don't know personally, but sure. apparently, when you can't go in the store and touch the material yeah. and kind of get a sense of what your size is, it's apparently a little bit harder to buy online. All right, I, I get that. Frank, thank you for the clarification there. Frank Holland. Thank you. It, it's something, if you're thinking about a stat, like for 12 hours... In a single day. Um, but back to the question that we got on FedEx, Guy. What do you think? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm obviously going to steer clear of that conversation. And by the way, yeoman's work by you. I mean, you start the day with Melissa Lee, and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a great job, number one. Number two, Punishment FedEx, don't get others. all wonky here, Neil. I'm just saying, the stock is going, yes, it's had a pullback since the earnings on December 18th. I get it. But a lot of analysts came out post-earnings and said, you know what, you slap a 20 multiple on their earnings, and you're talking about a $380 stock next year, and I don't think that's unreasonable. I actually think this pullback's been healthy. You want to see that. You don't want to see it go straight up. So I understand it's been a tough week and a half, two weeks, but I do think there's some good days ahead. And by the way, good for FedEx, who after a long time and a long time finally seems to have figured things out. Yeah, they had a lot of issues. Um, you know what did not happen this holiday season, Brian Kelly? We didn't get any headlines about mm. shipments being delayed or lost or not getting there by Christmas, even with the vaccine deliveries happening across the country. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, not just FedEx, but also UPS are benefiting from, I don't know if you guys shipped anything recently, but they no longer guarantee that it's going to be there. So they're charging the same price for a, a lesser product for them, they're making a lot more money. But I did want to go back to that one stat because you were talking about the returns on underwear and intimates. They also said that the average return loses 60% of its value. In BK's book, a returned underwear or intimate loses has a 100% zero percent of its value. Exactly. I completely agree. <laughs> all right. Well, to do all the shopping out there, consumers need a way to pay for it.
Hey, Fast Money. Scott Poston in San Diego. I had a question about Visa. Uh, with the holiday shopping, pent-up demand, and everybody stuck at home ordering for the holidays, do you think it's still a good buy? Because it's at an all-time high. So just wanted to get your opinion on that. And a little would you rather. Would you rather do Visa or Apple? Thank you. Scott is a real fan, a real live fan, Dan, for, for throwing that would you rather. And what do you tell him? I love it. Um, here's the thing. That's a great spot on your part as far as the visa. You're talking about these trends that are existing right now with the pandemic, the seasonality, that sort of thing. But don't don't forget the secular trend that was already just in place and has been massively been accelerated by all that. I think there's a great spot on the chart. The stock's up 13% of the year. Yeah, it trades at kind of a fat multiple, about 39 times earnings. You're expecting earnings and sales growth to grow this current fiscal year in the mid to high teens. That's pretty fair. Trades at a big discount to Peer MasterCard and obviously a huge discount to PayPal. I love the chart here. You mentioned that level at all-time highs. That's where it was in February, around 215. That's where it was in early November, around 215. Here it is again for the third time. I think this thing is setting up for a breakout here. So um, I, I like it here. And if you're, would you rather, I'd prefer um, Visa to breaking out to Apple. It's within 1% of its all-time high. It's had a really nice run, but it's up 85% of the year. This one on Visa looks like a better trade for the upside. Guy Dami, Visa or Apple? Oh, I love the fact that he played Would You Rather. And we, I don't think we've ever played with these two stocks, but I'm going to say Visa for the reasons that Dan just cited. Above 215, a close above 215, it's taking it to the next level. There's no such thing as a triple top, which means I think it's going to close above there. I think he just had an initiation with a $280 price target. Yes, it's a hefty valuation, but that's been a knock on Visa and MasterCard since they became a publicly traded companies. I like Visa here over Apple. All right, coming up, we've got a lot more questions to answer. Can the gold rally keep its sparkle? We're digging into what is behind the modern-day gold rush we're seeing during this pandemic. Then, bank on it. We'll put the financials in focus and get you some answers on where this sector could be headed next year. Stay tuned. Welcome back to a bonus hour of Fast Money. We're turning to a shining part of the market this year with this next question. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to see what you thought about gold for 2021. Uh, if you think it has more room to run. I um, mean, if you do, what do you suggest uh, to play it by? Uh, gold miners buying GLD or just buying physical gold? Thank you and have a happy new year. Before we answer Riley and Georgia, let's get to Eric Chemi, who's got more on this year's gold rush. Eric. Melissa, that's right. With gold prices soaring this year, individual investors and collectors, they're buying up gold coins in record numbers. The U.S. Mint telling CNBC its bullion sales since October 1st, they're 700 percent higher than they were a year ago. Michael Whitmire, the founder of gold retailer JM Bullion, says the pandemic and economic uncertainty have led to investors for looking for more safer, harder assets. Our customers in particular are very worried about the amount of spending that's going on right now by the governments, the increase in the money supply, the possibility for inflation, currency debasement going forward. So I think that's driving all of these trends. He also points out it's not just gold, Bitcoin, sports trading cards, even Pokemon cards. They've all soared this year. Whitmire says most customers take physical delivery, usually keeping gold at their home outside of bank control. He thinks the surge in gold still has room to go. 
I think gold still has some legs left in the run. Um, we saw a huge increase in sales on the announcement of the new stimulus bill last Sunday. And I think there's going to be more and more of that stuff, particularly with you know, Democratic leadership coming in. I think it's likely we'll see ongoing stimulus, ongoing fiscal support. And that tends to be really good for gold prices. Whitmire says his biggest customers have ramped up purchases this year in addition to the huge spike of 300,000 first-time buyers. Because they take physical delivery, these buyers tend to be long-term investors. Quick price flippers, they'd be much better off trading an ETF. The key factor for physical, physical cold buyers is to stay efficient. You've got to minimize the premium that you pay over spot price. Typical premiums are about $40 an ounce. Some people make the mistake of paying hundreds of dollars in premium. They never recoup that money, even if gold spikes up. Melissa, back to you. Very good point on that, Eric. Eric Chemi. All right, so important considerations uh, to take. Brian Kelly, what would you tell Riley? Yeah, I happen to think gold has, has a lot more upside. I mean, if you think about the old adage of that an ounce of gold will buy you a nice suit in London, that's really telling you that your good, you know, ounce of gold is going to keep up with the pace of inflation. It, to me, it's the same trade as Bitcoin. It's the debasement of the currency. And what I've been saying for years now is if you're a millennial, you buy Bitcoin. If you're a boomer, you buy gold. I think you're fine in both. BK owns both. I'll ask the boomer then. <laughs> Guy Adami, because that was Riley's question. Oh, you're looking around. You're the only person in that room. I know you're the only person in that room. Aside from dogs, they don't count. In this particular instance, I should clarify. Um, physical I gold. I am a boomer. Yes. Physical gold, or just the ETF, which would be a lot easier. Wouldn't require any storage space. Wouldn't require safe or safe deposit box, anything like that. Yeah, we only have 20-something minutes left, and it's not <laughs> enough time for me to try to explain why I think that if gold really works, the last place you want to be is the ETF, and physical is where you want to be. But that being said, Newmont Mining here closer, I think around 59 or so, I think that's headed back to the August high, which is 70. I do think gold is going higher. And if you watch the first hour of tonight's show called Fast Money, we talked about the potential for the dollar to get torched in 2021, potentially on the, on the results of the November, uh, excuse me, the January runoff election. So dollar lower, gold higher, Newmont higher, in my opinion, all happens early 2021. Can you give us the one sentence Cliff Notes version as to why you think physical would be better than an ETF if gold is really going higher for the reasons we think it's going higher? I think in the codicils of the ETF, this is not one sentence. I think that if gold really works, physical is where you want to be. And if gold really explodes to the upside, I think there are things embedded in the GLD ETF that would actually limit your gains. And I don't know that definitively. I've read through it. But I really think the place to be if gold is to work is the miners or the actual physical gold. Okay. Financials, they are in focus with this next question. Hi, I'm Frank from New York. I'm interested in the bank stocks, especially in light of the uh, Fed's announcement to allow banks to um, resume share buybacks, um, specifically JP Morgan. I like the stock. Do you think now is a good time to um, initiate a position or should I wait for a pullback? Thank you very much. Dan, Frank in New York. JP Morgan, what do you tell him? Hey, Frank. 
Uh, Dan in New York here. Um, listen, I actually think that this is going to obviously be a pretty good tailwind. And I think that if the inoculations and the path to herd immunity here in the country um, lead um, to greater or quicker than expected reopening, then a stock like JP Morgan is going to be back at new all-time highs. It made an all-time high on January 2nd. Um, it basically hadn't seen an uptick um, for months after that, and it was really slow to recover. So we've seen with the vaccine announcements, and now we've seen the buyback announcements. This has been really good for the best of breed, um, JP Morgan. So I think you probably have um, a new high at some point early in 2021 here, and it's about 10% away, but you probably get more bang for your buck uh, in like a Bank of America or something like that. All that being said, your question was, do I pile into it here? I think that as BK would say, you buy a third, a half position, you see how it trades. But to me, I think you'd probably buy a little more in a pullback in JP Morgan also. What other bank guy looks uh, looks good to you, if not J.P. Morgan? Is there one that looks better? Remember, and I know that Frank in New York is a big Fast Money fan, and he's probably a big fan of Chris Verone's work of Strategus. Chris Verone having said that Morgan Stanley looks like the best chart, one of the best charts overall across industries in this entire market. Which bank do you like the best? I feel like you've just you've zenned into my because that's why I was, I was going to mention there, Chris Verone. I'm in there, and it's irritating it's, you. It's, 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 it's like, a, yeah. it's, it's like what do they call those things? The ear ticks, right? And you can't use the Q-tips to get them out, unfortunately, although right. I will attempt later. I think, you know, Chris Verone mentioned that. Dan Nathan has actually said much earlier this year that Morgan Stanley was the best-looking financial. It's Morgan Stanley. I think that J.P. Morgan does have room to the 141 level we saw earlier this year. That was the prior high, and I think it has room to those levels. And I think if you want a flyer, Blackstone's right up against, right up against a prior all-time high. So you have a major double top there or a breakout. So have Blackstone on your radar screen. Morgan Stanley's the best-looking chart. J.P. Morgan, in my opinion, may be back to 141. Coming up, we will be answering more questions, including a fan's would-you-rather on two big telecom names. Fast Money bonus editions back in two. Welcome back to the bonus hour of Fast Money. We're hitting your most pressing stock questions. Next up, we've got a fans, would you rather? Hello guys, happy holidays. You guys are always putting a smile on my face. Today, I wanna know, would you rather T-Mobile or Verizon? And which one is better for the future? Thank you very much and have a wonderful day. Goodbye. That was Jose. He, I love how he completes it with a goodbye. Dan? Would you rather? What do you tell him? Yeah, hey, Jose, and happy holidays to you, bud. Um, you know, I like Verizon here. Um, this one has acted actually pretty well. It's down a few percent on the year. It just sold off, I think, um, from $62. That's a level it's been rejected at um, a few times over the last few years. On a relative basis, it acts much better than AT&T, which I would really say is its peer. I think that they are trying to sell some non-core assets here. They're obviously well positioned for 5G. So I like Verizon here over T-Mobile, but I think the panel here probably has a different view, at least the boomer one on the panel. Basically, after you said happy holidays, Jose, guy started shaking his head. So go, go ahead. <laughs> how, how much are you in my head? Because you know what I'm about to say. You know exactly what I'm about to say. T-Mobile, they're gaining market share, blah, blah, blah. You like T-Mobile more than Verizon. It's not, but, but it's not blah, blah, blah. And we've mentioned, you know who watches this show religiously? The great John Ledger, yep. who just turned that company into a, just a, 
behemoth. It's, it's a wonderkind. It's amazing what he did there. And you know why? Because they stuck to their knitting. They didn't get in all the extraneous stuff, and they stayed true to who they were, an edgy company that was gaining market share. And if just overlay a T-Mobile chart with an AT&T of Verizon over the last five years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, Jose, I think T-Mobile made another all-time high today. So in the game of would you rather, there is no would you. It's only I would rather T-Mobile. That's strong. Brian Kelly. Yeah, well. Break the tie. You know what? I, you want me to follow that? You know what? I will break the tie, and I'm going to go with Guy on this one. T-Mobile, to me, looks like it wants to break out. I, and to Guy's point on the Verizon chart, it's really just been trading in somewhat of a range. And despite all those nooks and crannies, there's been no added flavor to this chart. I think it's just kind of bland. So I'm much rather be in a T-Mobile. All right. We got more breaking news out of Washington. Let's go back to Elon Moy. Elon. Melissa, the House now has the votes to override President Trump's veto of the defense spending bill. The current vote tally is 308 in favor compared to 79 against with strong support from both Republicans and Democrats. Once it clears the House, this veto override will then go on to the Senate, where it initially passed with veto-proof majorities. But it could still be a few days before we see a final vote on whether to override President's veto. The Senate has until January 3rd to act when a new Congress will convene. Melissa. All right. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. We've still got more coming up on this Q&A Focus Extra Hour Fast, including Coca-Cola. Does this beverage kingpin stand a benefit once consumers have those stimulus checks in their pockets? And taking a closer look at CVS as all eyes are on the distribution of COVID vaccines. Fast Money will be right back. Welcome back to the bonus hour, Fast Money. We got a few last questions, and we're hoping to tackle some reopening plays. Here's one on Coke. What's going on, Fast Money team? This is Jacob from Georgia. Want to ask you guys today about the Coca-Cola company. Seems like a great reopening play, in addition to the fact that they're innovating into a lot of new products and new markets, especially the alcohol market, which I feel like they have a lot of room to grow into. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. Thanks so much. Clearly, when food service is back, stadiums, concerts, et cetera, people will be buying beverages. So, uh, Guy, what do you tell him? Yeah, that's, I think that is. I think it actually was one of Barron's top 2021 reopen trade picks, uh, along with, obviously, nine other names. I think it were top ten. So I'm with you on this one. I do think Pepsi is a better company. I also think it's a better stock. And PEP has taken over that prior high in February. Coke hasn't. But, you know, if you think the world is going to get fundamentally better, I think valuation-wise and catch-up-wise, KO is a great play here. It seems like, and of course, I'm just the layperson on this show, but, Dan, it seems like Coke might be a more leveraged reopening trade because Pepsi had the snacks which benefited during the pandemic. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, and I think restaurants, you know, you got to throw that in there, too. But, you know, guys said Pepsi is a better co uh, company. Coke is clearly a better product, um, in my opinion. But I will say this from the stock standpoint, you've seen this consolidation after that gap, after we got that early November announcement about the Pfizer um, vaccine. It really does look poised to break out above 55 and head back towards 
that 52-week high before the pandemic around 60 bucks. So I agree with all of that. And I think, you know, with that dividend yield, and I think the fact that investors are really quickly going to start looking for these reopening trades, I think Coke sets up really nicely here. All right. Now for a food stock that's been in the news. How you doing? This is Bill from Delaware. My question is on Tyson Foods. They got hit with their little corona scandal and they fell 12% since then, but they've done well to adjust for the past year. They've been winning on their earnings. Do you think they can keep that going with vaccines going out and restaurants going to be opening back up over the next quarter? Could they reach new all-time highs? BK, what do you tell Bill in Delaware? So, Bill, yeah, I mean, they've had quite a bit of quite a few issues besides just the uh, coronavirus uh, scandal. They ran afoul of the authorities with uh, uh, chicken pricing issues as well. I think if they can get those out of the way, investors can wrap their arms around it. Then, yes, this is a reopening play and you you will you'll see new highs in that. It's just really a question of do investors want to get back into this or are there other ways to play kind of the same theme? And to me, I'd much rather play another way and kind of stay away from Tyson food. When you think reopening trade guy, Tyson doesn't often come to mind. No, but I love what BK did there. He just slipped in that ran afoul. Did you catch that? Oh, no, I know you no, did. No, I, I mean, didn't. The, that, that's the, very good. That's oh, actually good. On. It's actually funny. It's actually No, it's funny. not. A, it, it's the genius of Brian Kelly is on display almost every night. Uh, I think Tyson, if you look, J.P. Morgan just downgraded the stock, I think, to neutral. They have a $70 price target. You know, maybe you get back there. I just think there are better places to be. There, there are a lot of headwinds here. I think they report in early February. Uh, maybe you got room up to 70. If that does it for you, I would take the money and run if it gets there. All right, let's get to a company making headlines for something on everyone's mind, the vaccine and how it's getting distributed. Happy holidays. This is Nancy from Florida. Thanks for taking my call. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on CVS. I got in at 73, and I'm wondering if you think it's a buy, sell, or hold. Guy, your advice for Nancy. We talked about CBS. I think there's a real chance they get Amazon. I'm not in love with this name. There's no difference, in my opinion, between buy and hold, because if you hold something, you've obviously made the decision you still want to own it. That price, Karen talks about that all the time. Uh, I think that CBS is a name that you're going to look in 2021 and say, hmm, Amazon has moved into the space. They're being disenfranchised. I'm not in love with the name. I think Dan Nathan has a different opinion, though. Dan? Yeah, so this stock went from 55 to 75 in a straight line after the vaccine news um, from early November. And now, you know, you bought it at 73. I would say I would keep a hard stop on this thing at 65 to the downside. If it breaks that, you know, you really do have probably Guy's thesis playing out. All that being said, this vaccine is going to be distributed for months and months and months. And as we see restrictions about stay at home and that sort of stuff kind of open up a little bit, that should drive a lot of sales in store, if you think about it, people are going to be going there um, to get the vaccine. So to me, um, keep a stop on this one because ultimately it could go the other way very quickly. All right, we've got time for another question. A question on whether it is time to gamble with the sports betting stocks. Hi, Fast Money team. My name is Josh and I'm tuning in today because I have a belief that there's a really sustainable interest in sports betting and gambling, especially looking at IGT, Penn National and DraftKings. 
I'd really like to enter this market and I'm not sure which one to purchase for a long-term holding. So I was wondering which of those companies might have a competitive advantage over the others. Dan, what do you tell Josh? Yeah, I really like DraftKings out of this group. I like the partnerships that they've done, their first mover. I like the fantasy stuff. So to me, I just think it's a really good brand. I know the stock is a bit heavy here. There's a lot of overhang. I think Guy will speak to um, you know, the secondary offering that came a couple months ago at 52. Now we're below that. But it's been a volatile stock, and it's giving you opportunities to get in. So you might see this thing back in the low 40s, and that's where I might look to start building a position in DraftKings. Guy? me up well I, I agree with exactly what dan said you know it got up to that 52 level that's where it priced the 32 million share secondary you saw how poorly it traded after that got up there failed i think you see mid 40s that's where you get back in by the way if you like this bonus hour you like this q a format we are here all week literally so join us send us your question we'll try and answer them on the air we'll see you tomorrow at five for more fast meantime contessa brewer is filling in for shepherd smith and she has the news right now This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 